0: Welcome to Talks, a podcast dedicated to the latest trends from the world of regtech, fintech, and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Ankush Samant as my guest. Ankush is the head design thinker with the global CX team at Standard Chartered Bank. He is currently based in Hong Kong, previously innovation coach at SC Ventures. Ankush has spent his career to date building customer experiences across industries such as retail, manufacturing, airlines, travel, insurance, and technology across the US, UK, Europe, Africa, and Asia. That is amazing. Ankush, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me over here, Klaus. It's my pleasure.
0: Ankur, it's such a pleasure to catch up with you. It feels like ages ago when we first met in 2018. At the time, I had just arrived in Hong Kong to join the Supercharger Accelerator program where you were part of the Standard Chartered team. For the listeners, would you mind telling us a bit about your background and the journey that brought you where you are now?
1: It's interesting. My career journey started at almost like a micron level. I was a semiconductors engineer. And while I was building that, I always wondered, what are we building these chipsets for? Where will they be used? Who will be using them? And I realized I'm also one of the users, but then there are so many other use cases for something which is almost invisible. That took me uh, to some of my next decisions in my career, which is understanding how businesses are defined, how they develop, how they grow and how design goes hand in hand with all of them. And when I say design, it can be multiple aspects of design, uh, ranging from what you see, which is visual, to what you don't see sometimes, which is service. I did study a lot of those aspects of design as well as business. I focus a lot more on how marketing works, how operations work, and that in the new world That all culmination of all is called innovation. So in the end, I realized that I was actually studying innovation. Then I started applying some of these aspects, which is learning, in early-stage startups because they were the best places to do it all together. And they gave me the opportunity to do it all together. Subsequently, I worked with a few IT services company. And actually, they gave me the opportunity of working across geographies and across industries. So that was a great time for me to learn. Just before uh, joining Standard Chartered Bank, I was again setting up innovation labs for a couple of such companies in travel and retail. And when I say innovation labs, they can be either focused on just enterprise innovation, which is more inward looking, or customer innovation, which is more outward looking. And with all of those experiences, I then moved to Hong Kong to set up the accelerator lab, uh, which we all now know of, which has now developed itself into something called SC Ventures. My initial role was called entrepreneur in residence, which was interesting in itself because they wanted to develop every idea as a venture, both within and outside of the bank. And then it became innovation coach, which is, can we help coach businesses and individuals in the bank to be innovation units in themselves? Because logically, just a small team can't be driving innovation for a bank as large uh, as Standard Chartered Bank. So here I am. Very recently, I have moved from my role as innovation coach in SC Ventures to leading design thinking within the customer experience team. It's a much more global role in its own. It is very similar to innovation coach, which is we have to guide some of these individuals and business units on the innovation journey, but it focuses much more in delivering front end customer experiences.
0: Brilliant. I can absolutely relate to your beginnings. I started my own career as a hardware designer, building with the chips of the same kind that you would design. As head of design thinking at Standard Chartered Bank, you look after internal initiatives and external partnerships to drive innovation within the business. From your point of view, what are some of the areas in financial services that are most ready for disruptive innovation at the moment?
1: That's a very interesting question because someone can go on and on, right? Uh, You know, financial industry, there are so many things happening. But I always uh, start from customer's point of view. So if you look at what are the top things which customers want, they want simplicity. Can I understand what is being given to me? They want ease. Can I easily do the transactions? They want change and newness, right? That's where they are saying, give me something new. I'm really bored of these old systems. And finally, because it's finance, it's their life earnings, which is going into the system. So the end or the most important probably is trust. Now, these are the various things from customers' point of view, which are also driving some of these disruptions for financial industry. So in terms of technology, if you look at it, there are various technologies which became very popular maybe 10 years, 20 years ago. Then banks and financial industry veterans thought it's not really working out for us. So there was a dip. And then they're again rising up. For example robotic process automation is one of those right it went down some time back but now people are realizing there is immense value in it especially in operations and multiple places where the work is very monotonous can we just automate it make it much faster and much more cost-effective cloud is another one uh, which is picking up pace in various financial industries and banks and there is immense potential to cloud it's not just about reducing your costs from on-premise implementations, but there is much more collaboration on cloud, which is possible. API platforms and integration between different platforms through APIs and through external parties. I think that's that's something as technology, which is again, picking up AI and within it, machine learning, which is again, picking up pace. There is so much data with banks like ours, which has been sitting on top of this mammoth repository of data. And then there are a few which are in early stages of being experimented. Uh, For example, blockchain technologies. People initially thought, oh, it's something wonderful. Yes, it is wonderful, but not on the front of it. It's on the back of it where it creates those wonders. Quantum computing, early stages, uh, some of these new technologies, which are enabling instant payment and other things. And then we are also sometimes seeing augmented reality, virtual reality, seeing if it makes sense to the industry. Now, customers point of view, technology point of view, so what it leads from a business point of view, I would say there are five things which it might disrupt. Consumer banking, because it's the retail customers who want to see this. So various things around consumer banking, uh, funds transfer and payments. Thirdly, investments and wealth management. How do we deliver and how do customers gain the maximum value from it? Commercial banking, transaction banking, and those which are more corporate focused and SME focused probably. And lastly, insurance, which is also a part of financial journey of a customer. So how do financial industry and insurance industry combine and collaborate together to give those disruptive solutions to customers?
0: Customer centricity is one of the things Standard Charter is very focused on, and it's also one of the core company values here at KYC. Might you share with us a, a few key principles to keep in mind when bringing specific vision for customer centricity to life?
1: So there are, I would say, six things which I realize might make more sense for an organization to become customer centric. And I'll begin at the top, which sometimes is the most important, which is customer focused leadership. So it's the leadership who has to realize that this is the most important thing. Maybe 50 years back. You just need to create a new solution in the market and it would sell by itself. Then came a new era in which now this product needs to be differentiated. So a lot more focus was on the business and marketing aspects to it. How can we make it cheaper than our competition? And then it changed to, no, we have to deliver something more. We have to please the customers. The customers have to demand for our products. And that led to this whole thing about, yes, the leadership needs to understand that. That's the first. The second is There should be channels to drive continuous customer feedback and that should improve your products. Now, it can't be just one way from the company or the corporate to the customers. You need to create channels which can very quickly tell you what customers are saying, what they're feeling about your products, what they're experiencing like. The third is all of the organization which should focus on design experience. So that's where the financial UX design becomes much more important and it's picking up. And when I said this design, this doesn't just mean to the end customers, but sometimes even to internal stakeholders. The fourth is how do we empower frontline? Now, frontline, again, has always been the selling ones, like relationship managers. They're selling call center staff. They're hearing complaints, but then they're selling something back. How do we empower them to really listen to customers, understand what they're saying, and maybe help improve the products in-house? The fifth is we should now move away from traditional metrics how do we understand customers that much better and how do we say that if customer is becoming happier can we then say our organization is doing better and that's where we need to introduce new metrics we need to listen to customers every moment and that comes down to the last one which is how well are we understanding our customers beyond just data points so customers might be just putting up in feedback scorecard saying that yes your product is great We don't know why they are saying so. Or if they are saying, yeah, I'm really unhappy about it. We don't know why they are saying so. We really need to understand that and collate that information, draw insights from that so that the rest of the organization can benefit from it.
0: If we think about regulations here, how have regulators changed their thinking about customer centricity in our financial institutions world?
1: It's again one of those things which is, I think, hidden from the plain eye of maybe a customer. And that's interesting in itself. Sometime back, I think regulators and even the banks were very product-centric. And they all used to see, are these products safe for the customers? That's what regulators want in the end, for the banks to be safe, not crumble down one day because of some fluctuations and for customers to have their wealth safe to a certain extent. And in the end, it leads to better economy. In the end, it leads to better governance of that place. There was briefly some channel-centric view also, which is, is video calling for customers safe enough? Is sending them letters safe enough? Can we send two letters with OTP in one and something else in the other? And I think over the period of time, now everyone has realized that channels will keep on changing. Products continuously evolve. In fact, if the products are not suitable for customers, they'll create their own products. And that's why there is still a lot of unbanked population who has created their own financial products. Even in markets like Hong Kong, where there are so many banks, there are still unbanked people. That means they are creating their own products. So that's why bankers and regulators are thinking: How might we ease the regulations and make them easy to understand, so that business owners and customers become the part of ecosystem, and that eventually builds a much healthier economy. So that's why, for regulators and new regulations, customers are the center of it all. Taking an example. Open banking is rising up and evolving everywhere, almost everywhere. And if you look at it, they are quite customer-centric. If you look at the three phases of Hong Kong government, they said, let's build value in each of those phases. Let's not just create an open banking platform that customers might not be interested in. Every phase they are looking at, all right, this is what banks need to do, but this is how that will deliver value to my end customer.
0: When we met, Ankush, you were actually very involved in the dissemination of knowledge in SC Ventures. What do you think are the most effective ways financial institutions can keep informed of the latest innovations in their sector? I'm sure part of a challenge is how specialist knowledge can be effectively distributed across all departments of a large financial institution.
1: A major part of my earlier role was in dissemination of this knowledge and also make a mind shift change, which it still is, right? Because in my current role, for example, how do you make people understand what empathy to customers is? Everyone knows what customer centricity is. How do you build it? I'm heading currently design thinking. How do you tell everyone what design thinking is and not just get them informed, but ask them to then practice these tools, and it's a test and learn thing ar- again around this, right? In this case, who are my customers or who are my audience? It's everyone in the bank. They already have a lot of tensions and anxiety about their current role themselves because the roles are changing. Some of them are worried whether their roles will exist in the next 10 years or no. And then the day-to-day pressures. And then you tell them about this new technology or new uh, methodology of working. And they're like, I don't know how this is going to help me out. And I would say the corporate culture also affects a lot in the way these programs might be rolled out. So there is no silver bullet. It's not that one thing will work for every company. So I think every company or organization needs to try it out and see what works. We tried a few formats. I think going with the trend that people have lost the patience of focusing on one thing for a long time. So we came up with bite-sized learning. Uh, That was the first thing, which is Maybe on an email, maybe on your intranet, we posted small snippets of a new learning. It can be, this is what we did in the branch. You know how we did it. This is what we followed. If you want to know more, go into a deeper session. Then we created one or two hour sessions, which are much more focused. So they are more of awareness sessions, taking employees through that awareness stage and building that knowledge, curiosity. For those who got even more curious, we then created half a day to three-day sessions, depending on their appetite and depending on how much effort or time they can spare. And we realized that it acts then as a funnel. Maybe if your 100 employees watch those snippets, out of them, maybe 50 come down to those one or two-hour sessions. And maybe out of those 50, just 10 come for those long-duration sessions. But then when these 10 graduate, they become advocates of these new ways of working. They become advocates of the specialist knowledge. So that's that's one way in which we disseminated. The second is we also started organizing a lot more expert sessions, which is maybe, for example, you are an expert in your field. Uh, we did have a session where you came in and you told what's happening in your organization, how you are seeing the world is changing. So I think those kind of sessions also helped. And lastly, we have also started taking some of our key employees outside of the bank as mystery shoppers so that they can show and see and learn from these experiences when they go out
0: back to a topic that uh, is close to my heart as a company owner here that uh, works with very large banks and other financial institutions the differences in size and the approach can be quite hard to overcome however when the relationship is set up right from the beginning the results are extremely beneficial for both sides given your experience in trying to bridge exactly this gap between incumbents and innovative fintech and redtech smes are there any specific learnings or best practices uh, you could share with us
1: that's a very difficult question and i'll try to answer it in my own way i think the first step is the most difficult for both the startup uh, or a young company like yours as well as for the bank like us, it's equally difficult because we do want to work with a company like yours. And if you look at it, why is it there this difficulty? So if you look at big companies, they are almost like giant spaceships. They are slow moving, but their high momentum can be dangerous. So they can't be going too fast. That's why they need to be very focused. If you look at it, they, they don't really change directions so often. Positive thing might be that they have years of knowledge hidden in the insides. And they have been working with technology and some of business models that has taken them historically through the last hundred years or more or less, right? On the other hand, now, if you look at young companies, they are almost like jet skis. They're very fast. They are very easy to maneuver. At least like you can quickly change and say, let's build a slightly different product, which might work for us. Let's change our customer segment, which might work better for us. So they can change those directions very quickly. And the technology is great because they are starting today. So they are using much better technologies, which might be much faster, much more scalable, and much better. But they don't know whether these technologies might scale up to the level of these big companies, And they don't know, more importantly, whether these technologies will take them through the next 100 years. And that's where I think we need to see how we can work together. We need to see a couple of aspects. As soon as we start working, a big company and a smaller company, they need to have very clearly defined, realistic objectives. And the next stage should be, let's also define a North Star at the moment. So the North Star might be, let's use a technology and that can be used, let's say, across geographies. But a realistic target might be, let's start with one geography on just one feature. Thirdly, we should have mutual empathy. So while you are trying to understand the bank, I think as a bank, And within the stakeholders in this bank uh, should also try to understand what's going on through this fintech what are these different things which they're trying to build and why they're building it fourthly let's also identify risks and take them into account and let's try to understand that very rarely will we get quick wins so we also need to have realistic targets which are time targets after that comes i think starting small building some kind of minimum viable products together or using somewhere which can be small in scale, and very quickly learning from those implementations. And that comes to measuring continuously. Let's also set up very clear parameters which we'll be observing to say that, yes, it's working much better for me. And lastly, I think then use the young company's jet ski capabilities. If we see that this is not working so well, let the big bank, along with the jet ski smaller company, change directions very quickly.
0: I love your point about empathy. The other point I noticed about what you said is you you mentioned circles and feedback. So is at the heart of the cooperation between fintechs, regtechs, and uh, financial institutions an agile methodology?
1: It, It is definitely agile methodology. It's slightly different from the Agile by its definition, right? Because Agile came from the IT world, especially the product development world. And sometimes we see that, shall we just follow blindly what they came up with? It's much more about flexibility. And yes, it's definitely about empathy, because I think we do run in agile ways multiple times, but we don't run in empathetic agile ways, which is, are we really understanding what the other person is saying, we don't want to run just fast, you want to run fast along with someone else. I think that's what's most important in this case.
0: Yeah, I agree. So last question, it's one we asked all our guests, if tomorrow you woke up and uh, somehow you had become the global financial regulator, what would be the first thing you would do? And of course, why?
1: I haven't really worked on the regulation field I'm, I don't have a deep knowledge there, but I have observed them. And based on my observations, I think a lot of financial regulators are also coming up with their own innovation teams. I think that's a great step forward. Over the past three, four years, I also observed that regulators in Hong Kong are asking the banks and innovation teams within the banks questions like, what do you think banking will look like in the next five years? What do you think will be the new technologies which will affect this? How do you think customers are changing? What are the new things they're asking? So they are becoming more and more interested. And I think that's a great step in the right direction. If I somehow wake up and uh, become a part of these global uh, regulators, I think I'll take a few more steps in this direction. And the best step can be maybe twofolds. One is build active customer forums. So I see that right now regulators are one step away from end customers. So they are there, then the banks come and banks deal with customers. And then they feed back to regulators on what's happening. But I think it's high time regulators create their customer forums where they call in customers, listen to them, and then see what they need to do as regulations. I think that's becoming more and more important. And the second is hire a specialized team which can then help them look into this direction. So very recently, I was seeing in the last 10 years, if you see, uh, companies are hiring people like ethnographers, understanding how people are changing. They are hiring more and more UX designers and service designers to help them understand how they can design these things in a much better way. And they're hiring someone called sometimes customers experience advocates, or they go by multiple names, which are telling them this is what you should be doing because customers are telling you this. So I guess uh, regulators should also now start hiring such people. Interestingly, I'm seeing that State Bank of India, which is one of the more traditional banks in India, has started hiring some of these roles. In fact, even very disruptive organizations like Adobe, in just last 10 years, they have hired someone called an ethnographer, which is they want to observe much more deeply about what customers are doing, how their attitudes and behaviors towards this changing world is changing in itself. Smartphones and all haven't come in the last 50 years. They have come in just last 15 years. So it has changed people a lot more. And that means regulators now need to understand this changing behavior much better so that they can also, at the same speed, try to change the regulations.
0: Thank you so much, Ankush. That has been enlightening.
1: Thank you, Klaus. It has been my absolute pleasure to be invited.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of REC Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RegTech provider Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash talks.